Welcome to episode six of the People Experience podcast. Today we're going to be talking to Ryan Hopkins, soon to be future of well-being leader at one of the big four, someone who's incredibly passionate about creating sustainable, thriving work cultures. Today's chat is going to be something that I've been thinking a lot about and I do know that Ryan is a big, big advocate for. A little. A little, (laughs) a little bit of a big advocate for which is how we can create and maintain healthy boundaries while still fostering meaningful connection at work. I feel like there's just a million things to cover. So why don't we just get into it? Ryan, how are you? I'm terrific, thank you. You made We got a nice cup of tea prior to this. We have I'm a lovely cup of tea. Um, full, disclo- full disclosure, Louis did introduce me. Louis is our podcast tech, by the way. Louis <laughs> did introduce me to the secret tea drawer. And I've been working at Handle for over a year now and had no idea it so was I'm there. So I'm here two minutes in and I've seen the inside of the secret tea drawer. Yeah, basically, you know the nuclear codes at this point. So I'm in the inner circle already. Yeah, That's awesome. <laughs> We've got so much that we could talk about, but I really want to talk about kind of the the constant conversation that's going on at the moment around like a perceived lack of work ethic from some but in reality we're way up on productivity from 2019 and at the same time there's like McKinsey reports that over 50% of workers are, are burned out and more employees are leaving their jobs in the UK than ever. I know you're really passionate about boundaries and connection at work and the line between having good kind of connections between teams but also not fostering burnout what are some of the big issues that we're seeing in workplaces first something i heard that's super super interesting we hear burnout i think it's got to be like one of the most common words in the well-being vocabulary at the moment and i heard this recently it sounds pretty smart so i'll explain what it means because i had to google it first time i heard (laughs) so apparently there's been a bifurcation of the well-being language so essentially it needs to be super extreme you're completely fine and thriving or you are burnt out and you're off but we feel everything in between yeah and now we see it absolutely everywhere. We feel like we're not okay. It's not okay just to be a bit tired. I just feel a bit rubbish today. But I couldn't possibly say that because Sue's off burnt out. So this makes it really difficult then to actually speak up with how you feel. So we've taken it forwards. We say it's an open place to talk about how you feel. I would say, yes, it is if you're feeling an extreme. But we feel this whole range of things that we can't speak about every day. So that's a unique challenge that I think has come about as a result of the increasing well-being conversation is it a good good thing yes of course yeah is how right? can we acknowledge like the full spectrum? the full range 100 yeah. percent, and that's cool we feel all these things you know on paint when you first click on the colors and you've got the real like the real high level colors and then we're almost like there so you've only got a few emotions we can talk about you want to click behind we know you've got the full spectrum of colors down from black in the bottom left corner like, all the way up the full palette and i think if we're able to have more of those conversations that will really help I know I haven't answered your question, but I find that really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, kind of to those kind of issues, I think especially around like tech, I think I think mm-hmm. tech is such a big one. And I know it's something that you've talked about and I know it's something that you've kind of introduced things around. Mm-hmm. What do you think are some of the problems that we're seeing around the different techs that we brought in? So... Like, yeah, they say oh, there's loads of stats chucked around. I mean, it's like 10 years of transformation happened overnight with the pandemic, but the cultural norms haven't kept pace. Mm. So 
we're like fantastic we can work whenever we want so we're doing nine to five at home and eventually that the the line is being disintegrated slowly and you're hearing your slack go off about eight nine at night and you're like oh and you get a little like, heart palpitation when you hear it because unless we define those digital boundaries the people will develop the tools and your colleagues are going to define them for you because it makes their life easier and they're just trying to look after themselves as well right mm-hmm. and we're not quite sure where these lines are so um i'd love for people to be a bit more healthish and that's something i came up with being selfish about your health is the least selfish thing you can do to be selfish about your health <laughs> if you get me yeah yeah yeah. but and what what are like some of those ways that you think people and then also like people teams can kind of strategically introduce those boundaries mm-hmm. well the, the issue straight up i started talking about like 89 percent of people feel pressure to be available at all hours of the day when working remote about 50 percent of the uk can work remote so that's a lot of people mm-hmm. just in the uk and obviously wider as well um they feel pressure to be available all hours of the day imagine if your status signal on whatever collaboration tool you use goes orange imagine if you were actually away from a desk like you are allowed that's cool but we feel like we're not allowed Mm -hmm. so there's this like digital presenteeism is a thing the fact that the technology is just encroached on every single part of our life without any support from the providers who create these tools to tell us how to use them effectively or sustainably yeah so and then equally the fact that the management and leadership culture within organizations has not developed as well so we still think that more inputs equal better results, but that's not true. Yeah. I would rather if you, we, me and you work together and you're on my team, you work two hours a day and you knock out like what you need to each day. Fair, fair play. Mm-hmm. Take the six hours, go do what you want, do some art classes, go to the gym, like live a life outside of work. It makes you richer, happier. It makes you like wax lyrical about the business. We've got the great resignation and everything else, all these terrible terms (laughs) but this is a this is a cure for that and you have a bunch of people that don't leave you don't have to worry about the great resignation if your people are happy healthy and productive i i wrote a piece like a couple months ago for handle and it was around that like digital surveillance that you're talking about and around the fact that lots of people teams make policy around kind of like slack or whatever the tools Mm -hmm. might be based on that that surveillance piece whether or not they can see people are online and managers are kind of using that as a, of a way as a way of tracking people so many people had stories Huxley couldn't it. have written it better could he yeah I know <laughs> at, and at the end of the day it's just it's so unimportant because it's like a conversation that I literally have with my grandpa when he's when he's like how many days are you working in the office and I say oh I do two my nan asked me today at no, lunch. And, <laughs> but also, and he's he's like Oh, on those days that you're not in the office, how does your manager see that you're what, you doing... Take, you're taking it easy. I know, he's like... You, are you does... working from bed? I know, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I am, first of all. And secondly... Well, there's no judgment here. There's a judgment-free zone. <laughs> but it's exactly the same as in the office. It's what are you doing? What's the work that you're producing? It's Value not... Value me, judge me on the quality of my outcomes and the effect, the positive I have, effects I have on people around me. Not long, how long I sit in a seat doing it. yeah. That's what matters. And I think it's going to take time to get there. And we, you're talking about what can teams do, what can organizations do. First, they can configure the tech in their, in their favor. So it's only, tech is the issue, but it's also the solution. And at a previous organization I worked at, we had something called digital balance. And that's how you, how you feel 
it's your perception around the text you can use that to create some space in your life to prioritize the things that are most important to you because as rupaul says if you don't love yourself how the hell are you gonna love somebody else right so firstly we can use the tech configure it in our favor so for example you auto schedule your meetings to finish five ten minutes early i created the world's first in office out of office which was my first thing that went viral which was pretty cool so when you're in the office you put your out of office on and say that you're not in the online office today you're seeing people face to face so people can expect to delay in your online correspondence so it's flipping like the work paradigm on its head a little bit and when we configure the tech in our favor it starts to give us space but this has to be coupled with like a culture where people feel they can step away mm. the policies and procedures that embed flexibility because you can't have one without the other and then you need to be publishing it on all the socials internally externally because if a tree falls in the forest and no one publishes about it on LinkedIn, did it make a noise? <laughs> the answer is no, it did not. So do leave competitions, run these things, leave little comp like 25 pound Amazon vouchers. People will do anything for a 25 pound Amazon voucher. I hate to think what I could get people to do for 50. <laughs> so it's, but it's true. And like, you're like, why, why wouldn't I? I've got to take a photo of me spending some time with my kids or my family or something else at my lunch break amazing of course i'd love to do that yeah and now i've got the now people i've got the i feel empowered to do so amazing yeah and when i see you doing it on the internal channels i feel like i can do the same i guess you've kind of touched on something that I, i'm interested in along these lines because when you say you know getting someone to to take a picture outside with their family or on the school run it's really important to get like leadership buy-in and 100%. hopefully get leadership doing things like that mm -hmm. have you received pushback on any of these initiatives and kind of if so what what are your ways of getting around that yeah i live with pushback <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't know what to do if i woke up and there wasn't any <laughs> like but that's it just means that you're starting to push the right buttons and challenge traditional ways of thinking and i think if you don't have resistance it means that you're not going to develop or create something that's worthwhile. So, yeah, it's, it's ubiquitous by nature. and But I'm starting to learn how to get around it. So well-being is seen as this soft, nice-to-have benefit, but that couldn't be further from the truth. When companies get... So, for example, there's a Microsoft survey, their Future of Work report 2022. Really good reading. I'd recommend for any, any nerds like me out there that <laughs> love the Future that's of me Work. me, then. Get in it. Get in it. Get reading. Only 170 slides are the best, I think. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but um, it, there was this uh, really interesting statistic that about 20-something percent of people quit their job last year due to poor well-being. In the UK, it costs about 1.5, you would know this better than me, to two times someone's yearly salary, right? To bring yeah. them in, to hire them, yeah, to yeah, recruit yeah, them. Yeah. Tell, I don't know. Yeah, it's incredibly ever, expensive. Incredibly expensive. You cannot afford to be letting these people leave because they're not able to prioritize what they need. You'd be better off being 5% less productive in the short term and keeping your best people mm. and then playing stuff on the socials and everything else. So, but what I started to do was to bring well-being and make it a quantifiable benefit. So this is our attrition. This is our engagement. This is how much of what our attraction looks like. We're going to do X. We're going to pilot it. We're going to measure these metrics that really mean something to the business and the leaders. And I'm going to show a tangible return on investment. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to get the qualitative feedback from colleagues, like the comments and the, the comments on the initiatives and the campaigns. And I'm going to make such a noise that you cannot 
avoid to see the benefit of this. Mm. And then it's everywhere. And then we're on the all hands and people are saying, when, when is the future of work team doing X? When are we doing Y? We love this. How's this? And the, the, you can't get away from it then. The groundswell is astronomical. The quantitative data shows a return on investment. How are you going to say no now? It makes well-being like a profit center instead mm-hmm. of a cost. And that's what it will be. And that's what I hope to develop the thinking around. Yeah. And is that something that you find like enjoyable working alongside kind of like employer branding teams and then also alongside your colleagues, getting them involved in those kinds of initiatives? Yeah, you can. It's the best part about it, seeing people that creating space for people, because in the well-being world, there's a tendency to solutionize everything. And I presume to know what you need each day or what Louis needs. Well, I've got no idea. I've got no idea what you need. So what I want to do is create the space and then I want to see what you need. I want to collect feedback. I want to see it. I want to make sure that your day is better. You are able to prioritize what you find important. There's more to work than work. And that's the glue that holds us together. And I think this is the sort of stuff that enables that. This is where you get workplace that people love to work in. It's where you keep your best people and attract the rest. Then you go to the socials. It's a good fun. People are a bit more relaxed. They've got purposeful work. They have a balance. They're mm. able to, they have more things to talk about than just work. I've been in places where you ask someone how they're going. They do, all they can talk about is work. They are just the worst people, aren't they? <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's not sustainable. Even it's not healthy for them. And I want to help people. I want to create the space with the tech, the culture, and then I want to see what people are doing. And then when you start to bottle it, that's what matters because leadership care about the metrics. Mm-hmm. Colleagues care about stories, and you yeah. need a combination of the two. And then you'll have an effective change program. And I mean, you're talking about kind of like, I, I know that you hate the term work-life balance, so I'm not going to use it. I don't I'm hate not- it. I just dislike <laughs> it like strongly. Because work is part of life. life. Yeah. And it definitely doesn't come before. So do you have like an ideal work week? If you could set out in kind of a dream world what your ideal work week would look like in terms of kind of like or or would it just be completely down to the person I think there's a few uh, it's difficult I could say what mine again yeah what would your sorry first of all what would yours be what would mine be your ideal work week it's a good question I I don't know if I've stopped to think about it I'm like how's everyone else (laughs) I'm like I'm so tired (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, I think Monday, you, Monday you're at home because you're getting stuff done. You're catching up over the weekend. You're mm-hmm. making, you're doing the planning for the week. There's two ways of thinking about the type of work that we do. And you've got heads up work and heads down work. Heads up work you come together for. Heads down work you do at home alone. Mm-hmm. You come together for the C's, for creativity, for connection, collaboration, coaching, community, those things. So it helps to break that down. Monday I'm at home. I do my heads down work. I plan. I prep. I do my admin, I get ready. I'm going to knock the week out of the park. Then Tuesday, I quite like to go into the office, break it up, see people, take that time. But I'll need the space from the technology to actually see people face to face because it's an absolute failure of hybrid work to go in and sit on laptops. But that's what's happening for most people. And it is, it sucks. Yeah. And then leaders are wondering why. Like, why, why, is no, why is the utilization the of office? the office 15%? Of course it's 15% because someone tried to come in, they've had to get childcare. They travelled an hour and a half to get in the office and they sit on a laptop it's an and not actually seeing people face to face. And it's cost them money. Yeah. 
Yeah, no thanks. No wonder that's not working. Probably do the same Wednesday, Thursday. I wouldn't start work until probably quarter to nine. I'll go train in the morning, have a bit of space. And I'm probably, I stop work at 12 every day and I block my calendar out. So I use tech in my favor, right? No one contact me. If you want to contact me, I'm going to make it difficult for you. You can WhatsApp me and it better be bloody important. (laughs) (laughs) But, But I'm available. But I just use the tech in my favor to step away because I'm better when I've had a gap in the middle of the day. When mm. I'm, I'm a bit dyslexic. I'm not a bit, I am dyslexic. <laughs> and dyspraxic, and my eyes go flipping blurry if I'm staring at the screen all day. So I'm better if I step away. And when I don't, I feel it at the end of the day. So that, that's what that day looks like. Even when I'm in the office to walk. I never walked before the pandemic. I don't know about you, but every day now I walk. Yeah, I feel like we became a just a, a nation and also a world of just daily walkers. Like I mean, it, because it became the, the most exciting part of everyone's day. I that's think, the sad thing. I think thing. it could be one of my still, my fav- best parts of the day. Yeah. Like, I love it. I get out, I give my nan a call. Otherwise, she's on the blower to me all the time. She's on her own, so it's, always it's good, the connection, right? But this is something that I do every day. So I go and walk. I'm open about it. I tell people... I try my best to log off at half five and then so I'll be in the office Tuesday through Thursday and then Friday at home again and I'd love to wrap it up at half two and go for a glass of wine if I can. On a Friday? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Judge me on what I produce, not how long I sit here doing it, right? <laughs> if, I've, if I've had a really hugely productive week, why does it matter? What am I going to do after half two anyway? Anyone who tells you you're they're mad productive or half twos, either a workaholic or a flipping liar. <laughs> yeah. And where do you stand on the four-day week? It So there's a lot of like well-washing you're seeing at the moment and companies jumping on this pilot, but then they're just cutting salaries down to four days and what's the point in that? Then you're just part-time. It's, or they're condensing the hours. So like, oh, so you're doing 37 over five. Now you do 36 over four. You're like, that's not, there's no change there. Mm. Well, the, the companies that are getting it right are saying, well, the same hours, have the same amount of holiday, and we'll judge you on what you produce. You have to work harder to get really clear on your OKRs or your KPIs with the people. And maybe if they can't do it in four days, they're going to have to work five. You take the benefit off them. But I think you give smart people the benefit of the doubt to work flexibly. When you've got a bank holiday, you get your stuff done, right? Yeah. You get it done. You're not like, oh, you don't, you don't end up working Saturday, do you? <laughs> because you've got a bank <laughs> holiday coming up, you just get it done. So it's about learning how to do that. And I think it was Keynes, the economist in the 40s, said like by like 2000, he said like the work week could be 16 hours a week because of productivity gains. We're X amount more productive now, even more than he could have ever dreamt. But yeah, we're still doing the same amount of work, grinding out more stuff. So it's, a bit, it's time to uncouple being productive and being busy. They're not the same thing. Yeah. I know a lot of busy people who don't do much. And I know a lot of productive people who don't spend that long sitting there doing it. I asked specifically, I guess, about a four-day week because, I mean, we had someone on this podcast from Hutch, which was one of the mm-hmm. companies taking part in the trial, and she was great. And one of the things she was talking about was the fact that for them as a organization, reducing the amount of time that people had, and, and for, for clarity, they stayed on full pay, mm-hmm. reducing the amount of time that people had meant that they had to just completely adapt their culture around productivity and around the amount of time people are being uh, are spending in in meetings and around kind of like Cutting this other stuff. Time. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it, I think it has great potential to 
to bring that like necessary mind shift. But I think you're right in that that doesn't have to come in the in the form of a reduced week necessarily. So, so flexibility's happened, right? Hybrid has happened. We've seen that we're able to grind out widgets at home. I wouldn't necessarily mean that we're that we're productive in the long run. I think for long run productivity, you need fun and creativity mm-hmm. and space. So yeah, sure, P- short term, incredibly productive working from home, but we still need a bit of time to come together if that's remote or in person cool but so flexibility has been granted geographic flexibility and that is that's here to stay there was a podcast i listened to recently where a professor from harvard raj chowdhury said there's two types of leaders at the moment those that are embracing flexibility and those that are in denial and i think that the companies that are not embracing it are going to lose their people to those that are because money's not free anymore inflation is Stripping, outstripping wage increases, mm-hmm. so companies are compete, going to compete on benefits. The, that's one of the what the levels of flexibility you can look at. And you've got temporal, which is the the time, the four day work week, your reduced hours, and then you've got modal. So the goal should be, and that's how you do your work. So you got you work how, where, and when you want. And I think that's like a more like a utopian view of the future of work. The less I say well being, the more I'm actually able to affect it. Mm-hmm. because I find where I've done previous roles I was slightly pigeonholed to talk about certain calendar events in the year one and done events side of desk champions fruit bowls <laughs> things that don't make a difference but when you aim for flexibility geographically temporally modally I think then you give people the space to work so you know an apple's better than a packet of crisps yeah I know that going for a walk's better than sitting on my butt all day know that connection is better than being isolated we know these things at least to a basic level we just need the space and empowerment to do so why i mean because louis again who's getting a lot of mentions in this episode yeah big up um (laughs) (laughs) louis and i were talking earlier about today all of a sudden there being a rush of like articles around how and Louis rightly pointed out that people can just make up a statistic around anything or a statistic can just fit it's called anything. data manipulation for a reason, right? Yeah. Around bosses, you know, wanting people to come back to the office. Mm-hmm. Why is it when there's so much data to suggest that productivity hasn't been hampered at all by hybrid working and that rightly, as you're saying, there should be, there's different functions for different ways of working. Why is it that people are so reluctant to kind of accept that data? Because they're unsure how to answer the hybrid paradox. This is going to make me sound pretty smart, actually. (laughs) So basically, uh, Microsoft, again, did a huge survey, 40-odd thousand people, and they found that 70-something percent of people wanted flexible work to remain. I I thought that was quite low, but Mm. interesting. So basically, the majority of people want it to remain. On the same hand... They all want more in-person collaboration. This is the hybrid paradox and the things that organizations are trying to answer at the moment. Managers and leaders are not sure. People are talking less outside their existing teams. Junior colleagues, the attrition rate is higher because they're coming into a business, not feeling connected and leaving. The knowledge transfer is not quite the same because we're not learning by osmosis by the people around us. The vibe, it just isn't the same unless you have the same, like, uh, almost like a certain amount of people together. So they're not sure how to like answer these problems. So the first thing that they know how to do is just bring people together. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to do it with good intentions, I think, but it's just mismanaged. And it's about, you need to have conversations with your teams. And I think 
I like there's a something a cool term. It's organizational stickiness. You need to get a level of that. So you provide as much flexibility as possible. When you get on the flip side of organizational stickiness, you define the things as a company that you come together for that create a bit of connection between one another. Then you look at the types of work you have and you say this type of job should come in for X, Y, Z activities. You get explicit. You have conversations. This takes time to get this right. You can just say days and then you'll get, you'll get, you'll get out what you put in essentially out of that. But if you really break it down for what the job needs to create organizational stickiness, to create flexibility on the same token, you'll have a workplace of people that really appreciate the space they're given, but they they come together for those sparks of like joy that you get when you're with people, right? We're here together. It's much nicer to meet you in person. Yeah. But it's coming together isn't just a fix for these cultural issues. There's a lot of companies that bring their people together who've got the same problems. So it's about creating good work, work with purpose, giving people autonomy, space to prioritize what they need. I know that you in a previous role had, and correct me if I'm going wrong here at all, created different hybrid personas. Mm -hmm. Were they profiles? What did you call them? Either or. Yeah, the same, same. We'll go with personas. I think you said there were like 39 Mm -hmm. or something. What what was that exactly and what did it involve? So I said you you got the baseline that's organizational stickiness. Everyone in your company comes together for this because this is what, that's like the, that's the glue. Mm-hmm. that holds people together the cross-functional collaboration breaking down the silos that have happened because people at home are grinding out widgets they're really busy but then they don't have time to chat to people or just have conversations right hence why every time you ask someone how they are they say they're manic drowning slammed these horrible words i've never heard anyone ever say yeah i've got <laughs> two spare hours there i'm probably gonna do a bit of thinking yeah imagine <laughs> but so you've got the organizational like stickiness for the baseline then on top of that we broke down what the business looked like into these different job types. And then we, we assigned a leader to each one because we actually found that the leaders weren't leading by example. So they were telling people to come back, but they're not doing it. So I said, well, I'm going to get the leaders to review these with me and then own them essentially. So we're saying, well, what do you want from your teams? We're seeing these problems across the teams. We're hearing this feedback. How can your team be optimum and get them to own it? And then we had these personas and then you essentially then you understand what each job needs because that carte blanche one day will work potentially for a people team or a recruitment team or the marketing team but a development team might not need to come in that frequently Mm. i think it was github uh said they were that was one of the first working from home fully remote companies like 19 percent more productive mostly have software producers and stuff like that so they don't need to come in all the time they don't need to come in once a week they can move further away. Spotify have got a flexible geographic policy so you can work in a common economic zone. Amazing. Bring them together once every three months. But to bring them in once a week is not going to work for that job type. So the one-size-fits-all response to hybrid, I think maybe that was the first iteration of it and what we needed to do, but I think that's developed and more attention and care needs to be put into it to answer the hybrid paradox. Did you ever receive... Uh pushback or kind of questioning across teams in terms of you know one like i'm just imagining that it might seem to certain people like one standard for them and another for us was that ever a conversation but then if you had a one size fits all you'd have the teams that were coming in too much that shouldn't be coming in so you're going to have yeah these teasing issues and you're going to have this when but their recommendations nothing is a mandate this is how your team is optimum we want to create a why 
when you understand why you're coming in, when you give them a reason, when you make it fun, when you give them a bit of space, people are going to come in. Yeah. But then it's about collecting the content, the stories. Like I was telling you, £25 Amazon vouchers, I leave them everywhere. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like, leave them all over the floor, pick them up, take a photo, and then replay this stuff constantly. And the people that were more hesitant, obviously rightfully at the back end of the pandemic, who were shielding, who got health issues themselves, why would they take that risk if there wasn't a real important reason for them to come in? When they start to see that it's, it's safe again, that people are coming together, they're having fun, they want to get involved. Yeah. So everyone's on a different change journey with this and the past 200 bit years has shown that no two individuals are the same. So we need to try and create that that flexibility for people and not presume that we understand what each person needs. So, I mean, I guess kind of to to wrap it all up, you have spoken about moving from what you described as well-being 1.0 to well-being 2.0. Can you outline what that is what that transition's gonna have to be apart from trying to develop a juicy soundbite uh-huh. yeah <laughs> aren't we all <laughs> guilty um it's about the shift of the onus for improvement of well-being in the workplace from the individual to the organization the current pressure is on the person to go and find a solution whereas i think we're not looking at the stresses of what are making these people suffer in the first place mm-hmm. so that's part of it the next iteration, the focus is on reaction. So waiting until people are suffering to go and find employee assistance programs. But then it's almost too late because this person has been through their pain. And maybe they have reached burnout, like we were saying before. Not everyone does get there, but people do. And that's too late. So there'll be a transition to reactive, not reactive, to proactive strategies. Not reactive at not all. Not reactive. No, the transition from reactive to reactive. No, from reactive <laughs> to proactive like we were speaking about the flexibility. So there'll be a shift from the individual to the organization, from reactive to proactive. And I think there'll be just a continued understanding of the importance. And I think we'll be able to feel a full spectrum of emotions. There'll be an increased understanding of how technology impacts our lives and how we can use it to benefit us. And I think it's an exciting time for the transition. I think there's so much there. And it's also making well-being seen as an like an imperative as mm. a as a profit driver in a business it will sit cross-functionally it, will, it won't just sit in people it will sit across the entire business because it need to be involved to look at the tech places need to be involved to look at where they work the marketing team need to be involved to look at the brands when it goes out to market the sales team needs to be involved because that they're the people looking at it in the ground so you need a cross-functional effort mm. so i think this is the transition i think well-being 1.0's days are numbered and say hello to 2.0, it's coming. <laughs> There's your sound bite. Yeah, have some of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's a great note for us to leave it on. So Ryan, thank you so much for coming. It was such a pleasure chatting with you. The pleasure's all mine until the next time. <laughs>